Hola, and welcome to Latino Book Chat. I am your host, Cristian Meneses Jacobs. We invite you to participate in our conversations with Latino authors, illustrators, and others who share their insights into the book publishing industry. Karina Nicole Gonzalez spent her childhood between New Jersey and Puerto Rico. She's an educator and speech language pathologist for the New York City Public Schools, where she uses storytelling as a tool for language development with her elementary school students. Karina lives in Brooklyn and is the author of The Coquis Still Sing. Crystal Quiles has been drawing in her room since she could hold a pencil. She studied illustration and fine arts at Pratt Institute and holds a Bachelor of Fine Arts in Communication Design. Originally from the Bronx, Crystal works as a freelance illustrator in Brooklyn. She's the illustrator of The Coquis Still Sing. Latino Bookshop welcomes Karina Nicole Gonzalez and Crystal Quiles. Thank you for chatting with us today. Hola. <laughs> Hola. Thank you for having us. Yes. Thank you, ladies. Tell us about how you became friends and what made you decide to work together. We became friends because of this project. I wish I had known Crystal e earlier, but, yeah. um, but when I wrote this manuscript, I was looking for an illustrator and I wanted to work with someone who was also from Puerto Rico and who was a woman. And I was looking for some picture books for my students in my classroom in Brooklyn. And I went to a local bookstore. And when I was inside, I turned around and I saw the book, the, a the ABCs of AOC. And I saw the illustrator's name of the book. And I loved her illustrations. And her name was Cristal Quiles. And I read her name and I felt this feeling in my belly. Like she's, the, the name sounds familiar. And so I looked up her work and I loved her illustrations and her whole aesthetic. And, and then I found out that she lives in Brooklyn and um, my agent contacted her and she agreed to take on this manuscript. And then we met and then we discovered we were born in the same hospital a few months oh apart. My yeah. wow. We only live a few blocks away from each other in Brooklyn. <laughs> and so just naturally, I think, you know, I, I guess you can say it's kind of serendipitous, but naturally we became very close. And um, we have another book uh, that we're working on right now. And it's just such a joy to work with someone who I love and who I enjoy spending time with, even outside of uh, the book world. <laughs> <laughs> that is amazing. Wow. Mm -hmm. I think it was meant to be. I think so, I too. Think so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it. Wow. So, yeah. Crystal, how much autonomy did Karina give you with your <laughs> visual interpretation of her story? <laughs> oh, my goodness. I mean... As an illustrator, working on books is still something that's pretty new to me. The ABCs of AOC by Jimmy O. Wilson was my first children's book. But I think coming into working on this book, I knew that I would have, it would be a lot of things would be up to me and the design team, but it was important for me to get Karina's input and to hear what she wanted to be represented. So I did want a little bit of collaboration between us. And I'm so happy that we were able to do that in a way that worked and still have, I think, equal parts my say, her say, and the design team say the team at Macmillan was really great. <laughs> because sometimes, you know, it might be difficult to work oh, yeah. with somebody who's your friend, right? 
<laughs> yeah, I think it can be. We're just got so lucky, I think, in working together. It's really easy to work with Karina, and I love it. Likewise, Crystal's <laughs> a brilliant illustrator, and I don't really have much to say to her in terms of her artistic license. She's she takes everything I write to the next level and makes it beautiful and compelling. And Crystal is a brilliant artist. And I think she should have full autonomy over whatever project she works on. You know, I love Puerto Rico. It's such a beautiful island full of amazing, happy people. You know, like I mentioned mm -hmm. to you, we spent the entire summer in Fajardo, actually. Mm -hmm. And it was one of the most amazing experiences of our life. We got to see about 90% of the island. And we were in Utuado, mm. where the story takes place. So are you guys from that area, any of you? I'm actually from Aguadilla. That's where we have a home. But when I was a kid, my parents sent me to live with my grandmother in the summers in the town of Vega Baja, which is about 40 minutes from the capital, depending how fast you're driving. Mm -hmm. um, but I've been to Utuado before, and I wanted the story set there because of its mountainous terrain. And because how cut off they were after Hurricane Maria, um, there's also a river that runs through. And, you know, I saw after the hurricane how the community came together and managed to, uh, you know, make ends meet and make sure that they had the supplies that they needed as a community because uh, help was very slow to arrive in Utuado. And I thought that this would be meaningful to, to show in the picture book and to choose a place that was especially hard hit after Hurricane Maria. Yeah, you know, when we heard that Hurricane Maria destroyed most of the island, you know, I remember contacting everyone we knew from our summer there to make sure that they were okay. And the destruction of this beautiful, magical place was shocking. So Karina, what do you want to convey to your readers by having the story set during that time period? Well, I originally got the idea for the story when I found out that the coquilla start, stopped singing after Hurricane Maria, and it was very alarming mm. as the coquillas are already experiencing a population decline. And so the suddenness of not hearing them at all as a result of Hurricane Maria was frightening. You know, it took a long time, but they began to sing again. You know, their population began to thrive once again, but it did take a long time. And I thought, wow, what an interesting mirroring of sorts, right? That the resilience of Puerto Rico's flora and fauna mirrors the resilience of the Puerto Rican people. And I thought that that would be a very poignant message to share with the world that not just unique to Puerto Rico, these are stories that happen around the world, uh, countries and communities affected by hurricanes or natural disasters. And I thought that it was really important to write a story like this because it has that universal message woven throughout. A few days before we left Puerto Rico, I remember we were so lucky to be near a river and a young man overheard me saying that I did not want to leave Puerto Rico without <laughs> seeing a cocky frog. <laughs> that was a must-see. So he took it upon himself to find out one of them and brought it for us to see. I couldn't believe it. We got to hold such a beautiful, tiny frog. And it was such a joy. Oh, my God. Such an amazing feeling. So I was especially sad reading your story that the cocky stopped singing right after the hurricane. And I wasn't aware that that was an actual occurrence. Mm -hmm. You know, the, did they find out what happened? 
Well, when you saw the um, colors of Puerto Rico change, right, from that lush green landscape to mm -hmm. that brown, you know, that's essentially the, the habitat of the cookies like to inhabit like lower lying areas like bushes, bromelias, smaller bushy plants. And so when you know, we saw how the landscape was basically just rav ravaged and that affected the habitat of the cookie frogs and probably many of them died from, you know, yeah. the hurricane as well. And so um, their population was impacted by the hurricane. But I'm so jealous that you got to hold one. I've never <laughs> in real life I've heard them, but never seen them. They're so hard to find. They're tiny. You know, everywhere we went, you know, we're like, okay, where are the cookies? We can hear them, but where are they? <laughs> yeah, they're one of the tiniest frogs in the world with the loudest song, which I think is is so, makes them so especially special. <laughs> very unique, and I love that about them. Yeah, oh my God. We were so amazed. We were so grateful. And we were so happy that, you know, it happened like a few days before we left. It's like, oh my God, our dream came true. You know, we were so excited. <laughs> Crystal, I have to tell you that the illustrations on page 16 of that rain falling and the wind blowing is so amazing. Mm -hmm. I, I, I feel like you can see and feel the rain and the wind. And it looks so real. I, I wanted to know, how do you achieve such wow. a realistic portrayal of that storm? Wow, thank you. First, <laughs> it's it was such an impactful thing to research, you know. I wasn't there. I wasn't in Puerto Rico when it happened. I was watching the news with everybody else in New York. Mm -hmm. and But to go back and look at videos and really... And I've also never even lived in a hurricane before, not like that, not like New York hasn't experienced anything like that. So to imagine what it was like to really be in such a big storm, um, I did want to kind of capture all of the layers of the wind and the rain, and then you still see the the homes and the trees going through everything in the background, and I wanted all of that to show. and. It was, it got a little bit muddy, I think, in my illustrations, but this might have been the only place that I can get away with doing muddy illustrations. <laughs> um, but because it's so realistic to show that side of it. And I work in a lot of layers. I, my background was in printmaking, and I always bring that to my illustrations, I think, as well. And layers really allows you to, to show a lot of different textures and really bringing all of those elements of the storm through in techniques that I did, I think, somehow came together. <laughs> and it, it's amazing. It looks like you could have been there. Wow. Yeah, I was like, wow, this is pretty amazing. You did an amazing job, you know. Kudos Thank to you. Thank you so much. Karina, while the storm was raging outside, the words that you put on paper make us feel as if we are there, hiding in a safe place with the family. You know, your sentences are short, of course, because they're for kids and to the point. You know, how long did it take you to convey those exact feelings to the reader? That's probably a hard thing to do, right? Oh, my goodness. It's the hardest. Uh, writing about a traumatic experience like a hurricane is very difficult because you want to strike a balance between conveying an honest depiction of the hurricane but also not causing the reader tremendous emotional anguish 
And so that's quite a balance to strike. And I think that's why I, I tried my best to be as concise as possible, but as impactful with each word as possible. And I think, you know, it took me a while to draft this manuscript the correct way and pack as much as I wanted with less words. But I think there's an urge perhaps for writers in general, when you have really emotional scenes, wanting to write a lot, right? Wanting to fill in the gaps. But I think those scenes are actually the ones that you should write the least amount of words in because the illustrations can really convey the heaviness of a particular scene. And you don't, and also the, the lack of words can convey a heaviness. And so I tried to use also the amount of words on a page to um, invoke um, some some emotion for the reader, right? You can feel um, the character's inner state almost. I wanted that to really come through the text and Crystal's illustrations, you know, took that even further. For example, like the spread where we see Elena crying on her amaka, that scene is one of my favorites because you really feel the, the heaviness of that moment of her really grieving everything that she's lost from the hurricane, including losing her beloved friends which happens to a lot of children in Puerto Rico and elsewhere when there's a natural disaster, a lot of kids and families move away. And I thought that was an important scene to include because it was very honest. Especially also that scene where the the roof comes up in the house. When mm -hmm. I turned the page and I saw that, I was like, oh my God. Yeah. And to think that that actually happened mm -hmm. to so many people, it was frightening. And there were not a lot of words on that page, but you can feel the pain of these people and you can sympathize with them through the illustrations. Exactly. And that, yeah. was, that was the goal ultimately, to convey as much with as few words and let Crystal's illustrations kind of do some of that extra talking, right? And, mm -hmm. and I think we achieved our, our goal of, of really making the reader feel something and different feelings, right? There's feelings of hope, there's feelings of anguish, there's feelings of grief. And I like that the book has captures so much of that because like I said before, it's it's that's the honest reality, right? That's what mm -hmm. children and families experience during disasters. So you mentioned in the back of the book and also you know you you mentioned here that you used to visit your abuelita in Vega Baja. Do you have any like really favorite memories of your time with her? Well, it's so funny that you asked me that. And thank you for asking me that because this the book opens up with my favorite memory with my grandmother. She had this gorgeous mango tree in her backyard and she lived on like a one floor concrete house. And she had a ladder on the side of the house and she would be like, Karina, go get some mangoes for me to make some juice. And I would go up, climb the ladder and she had, <laughs> she had a basket with this oh my long God. handle. It had such a long handle so that I can reach, right, the mango tree. So I would take the basket and I'd shake the tree and then the mangoes would fall into the basket <laughs> and I had to hurry and catch them all. And I knew when I wrote this story that I wanted to start there, you know, with the main character, Elena, admiring the mango tree because it's something so simple, but so important, right, in our culture and for a lot of people in the Caribbean and Central and South America, you know, of the land and what the land gives us, fruits and vegetables and sustenance. And, um, and I wanted that contrast in the story of how lush everything is. And then after Maria, how it's taken away and that 
but it's not taken away forever. It comes back in its own way. And, and Crystal, do you have any memories from being in Puerto Rico? Favorite yes. Memories? So I, I went there when I was younger a few times before I can really remember much. And then my first like real memory was when I went back when I was about 16 with my family. And I had, it was like a really transformative trip for me. It was my first time going to Punto de Jacinto and seeing the, the waves crash up onto these rocks. I just remember coming away from that trip feeling like I, I knew Puerto Rico in a whole different way and I connected with it more than ever. My cousin Luis, he, he showed uh, me and my sister, we like drove to Mayagüe and we, it was just such an, a, a like little kid coming of age story <laughs> that summer in Puerto Rico for me. And I connected with my sister on that trip. It was just a lot of like connections that I remember the most and just like the warmth of the island. Like I live in New York City and it's just so different. And I'm very much from New York, but I felt like I connected with these like roots that I had. And that's whenever I go back there, I just think about that trip too. It's just, it really made an impact on me. Yeah, it's a very emotional experience, isn't it? Yeah, yes. The resilient people of Puerto Rico begin to rebuild their lives and the song of the coquí frog comes back. It sounds like a metaphor, Karina. <laughs> so tell us about that. Absolutely, it is a metaphor, and I hope that, you know, some people who read the story realize that it's not just the coquillas that are singing again, it's the people, right? And we're laughing mm -hmm. again, and we're singing again, and just like the coquillas sing again. And, you know, singing, right? I love the idea of song, and although, you know, there aren't any songs in the story, I do have that element in there where I you have Elena singing to the cookies when she can't hear them, right? Cookie, yes. cookie, oh, how I love thee. <laughs> um, so for me, a song is, um, you know, one of the greatest actions that, sh that shows, that depicts joy, you know? And I saw so much after Hurricane Maria in the media that I found distasteful. And I thought, you know, I needed... I, I felt so compelled as if it were almost my duty to write something that was a, a counter to, uh, to that narrative. And that is how this manuscript came about. I just felt that the need to write something that was more honest and more uh, humanistic than what I was seeing depicted in the media. It was definitely a very conflicting information and images of what the people of Puerto Rico were going through. Absolutely. You know, you know, I like that in the back of the book, you give us a lot of different information and you mentioned something called food sovereignty that I never heard before. Can you tell us about what that means? Absolutely. So Puerto Rico relies a lot of the American imports. Um, so a lot of produce, a lot of meats. And so, you know, there are policies that kind of, you know, have that have led to that over the years. And there's a renewed interest now, you know, in the last few decades of people of Boricuas reclaiming that land and harvesting again and, you know, growing crops. The, you know, advent of, you know, tobacco and sugarcane 
oh, there was a lot more agriculture happening on the island, but when that kind of dried up, right? And uh, Puerto Rico began to rely more on um, produce from the United States or imported produce. Um, you didn't see people, you know, harvesting as much as they had before. And so, but now after Hurricane Maria, especially when we can see how relying on one country for our nutritional sustenance, it's a terrible idea. Any, you know, there's so much that can go wrong with that. And that's exactly what happened after Hurricane Maria. A lot of people didn't have access to the food that they needed for survival. And so you see now more young people, especially going back and reclaiming this land and farming again. And, and that's essentially what, why I wanted to include that part of, in the back matter, because it is very important to the story. You know, although I don't specifically talk about farming, you know, when her vecino, Don Rafael, hands her mm -hmm. some vegetable seeds, he says, this is our gold. And that is exactly what seeds are to, you know, to humanity. That is how we will continue to survive is by continuing to farm and to cultivate the land. I have to tell you that I was angry to read about this Jones Act, especially after Hurricane Maria. So... Tell our listeners about how this John Act affects the people of Puerto Rico, because I don't think a lot of people are aware of that. They're, they're not, and it's such a shame, right? Because Puerto Rico is a colony of the United States, and I think it's incumbent on people in this country to know about the situation in Puerto Rico and to know, you know, how Congress's uh, policies and laws and, you know, they have ultimate power over what happens in Puerto Rico. And, you know, the Jones Act is one example of that food, you know, produce that comes into Puerto Rico, it can't come in from, say, a country like Nicaragua. It has to go, leave Nicaragua and go to an American port and then come into the United States. That's and, so crazy. And, yes, exactly. So when Hurricane Maria happened, this was still in place where, you know, we could have had a much quicker help from, say, Cuba or Venezuela. But, you know, because of this, you know, act that's imposed, we weren't able to get some of that quicker humanitarian assistance, especially food assistance. It had, but, you know, a lot of pressure was put on, you know, that the president at the time, and he briefly waived the Jones Act, but it's still in place today. And it's something that is really, it's a negative relic of um, the relationship between the United States and Puerto Rico. And it certainly affects the food system on the, on the archipelago of Puerto Rico. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. I was like, what is this? You know, it's like trying to control the island and the people there. Exactly. And it's just a way of maintaining control. And I, I, I was very upset. <laughs> I, 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 hope, I hope people read that and feel compelled to read more about it. And I think... Things move slowly in the world. Change happens very slowly. But the more awareness that exists, the more likely change can happen. And I and I hope that this book can at least make some more people a little bit more aware of, of these policies that exist that are, are absolutely negative to um, the, the, the survival and the ability for Puerto Ricans to thrive in this day and age. Crystal, like I said, you know, your illustrations are so beautiful. What do you want to convey to your young readers with your vivid and realistic illustrations? What do you want them to feel? I just want them to take away joy. I mean, it is a sad story and a disaster has happened, but 
in the end, I think there's so much hope and resilience that comes through in the illustrations. And I hope that kids can feel that and makes them want to pick up a pencil or a brush too and draw something and some draw some cookies and some trees and some mangoes. Um, that was my favorite thing growing up is looking in children's books, reading them, and then running away with my own ideas of how to draw and what to do. And I hope some kids are inspired to do that as well. Yeah, that would be wonderful. <laughs> Karina, you prepare some pages for on the book to read? I did. Yeah, um, go ahead. Happy. I'd be happy to read. All right. The story is called The Coquillas Still Sing, written by me, Karina Nicole Gonzalez, and illustrated by my brilliant friend, Crystal Quiles. And it's also um, available in Spanish, and it was translated by my other friend, Amparo Ortiz. At sunup, I climb the ladder to the roof. From here, I am as tall as Abuela's mango tree. Its branches, heavy with fruit, reach out to say hello. Hola, I reply, giving the branch a shake. Ripened mangoes rain down onto the garden with gentle buds. The mango tree gives us many gifts. When the sun is high, its leaves lend their cool shade. When I'm hungry, its fruit is the sweetest snack. And when night falls, a song fills the air. Hidden in the garden live the cookie frogs. Luna runs in circles, barking and dancing to their tune. Cookie, cookie, oh, how I love thee, I sing back. You sound just like your mother, Abuela says. Suddenly, a strong wind blows, lifting the coquilla song away. Every evening, Papi sits at the kitchen table, listening to the radio. But tonight, music isn't playing. A reporter is talking about a storm. Hurricane, she says. The words come in pieces, fighting through static, making landfall. Stay safe. My little brother Benito cries, and my heart races. But Papi? has a plan. Benito and Abuela search for flashlights and candles. I shut the windows. Papi seals the doors. The rain falls, drumming a steady beat on the metal roof. Luna bounces at my feet. Don't worry, Lunita, I will protect you, I say, pulling her close. The howling wind slams against the windows. I grip Papi's hand and he whispers in my ear, I peek through a slit in the shutter. Crack! A branch snaps falling against our house. The mango tree, I scream. Bobby pulls me away and guides me to the closet. Inside, Abuela and Benito are sheltering. We huddle together as the house shakes. Luna shivers in my arms. Abuela prays through the howling wind, her heart beating against my chest. That was amazing the way you read that. Oh, well, you know, I read oh it, so I, should, I should read it like uh, the most emotional way as possible. <laughs> well, that was very emotional, for oh, sure. Good. And that coquille singing, I love that. Oh, yes, I have to have the actual sound. It's like a must, you know. It, uh, it would be weird not to have them their actual little voice. What would you like your readers to take away from the story? 
I love this question and I never tire of answering it because I feel it so intensely. I hope that readers walk away from the story with a deep love for humanity and the environment. We have each other. And I, I want people to remember that, that no matter the crisis, no matter the disaster, that we always take care of each other um, and that we always rely on each other. And that's how we survive. And we shouldn't forget it. The book is The Coquilles Still Sing and the Spanish version Los Coquilles Aún Cantan, written by Karina Nicole Gonzalez and illustrated by Crystal Quiles. You can purchase a copy of the book at our online store at nicagal.com, N-I-C-A-G-A-L.com. Karina and Crystal, thank you so much for chatting with us today on Latino Book Chat. It has been a pleasure to have you both on the show. Likewise, thank you. Thank you, Thank you for joining us today. Visit us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at latinobookchat.com. Please subscribe on your favorite platform. Whatever you're listening to us today, please give us a positive review and as many stars as possible. Sharing the show will help it grow and continue to come to you. Thank you for your support. Hasta pronto. Latino Book Chat is a production of Nicagal Media. Today's episode was hosted, produced, and edited by Christian Meneses Jacobs.